Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Please be seated. All right, guys. <clears throat> Good morning. I'm going to need more volume today than normal. Uh, hopefully I can get through this. <clears throat> this will be the longest I've talked all week. been a little sick, but... That's why we have amplification. Amen. Um, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Stonehouse Church. You've come as we are in the midst of a message series called The Extent of Grace, talking through some of the unique content of Luke's gospel. And uh, today we are continuing in uh, the parables that are found only in Luke. Uh, there are a number of them, and I think we only have three left after today, maybe four. So this is the parable of the persistent widow. I'm going to read over this parable again like we like to do a lot. We like to hear God's word repeatedly so that we can uh, know it well and uh, that it can resonate in our hearts. Uh, so here's Luke 18, 1 through 8. It says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will... He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? All right, let's pray as we dig into this. God, thanks for this day and the opportunity to gather as your family. Uh, we do not take for granted the fact that we can freely walk into this place, open a Bible, and uh, look to Jesus and uh, proclaim that he is God and our Savior, um, and that we can do all these things um, without fear of uh, recompense against us. We know there are people all over the world um, that do not enjoy that same freedom. And so, in a way, we pray for justice for your people, God, uh, that you would allow your church to thrive and to gather, um, that even in places where they face resistance and persecution uh, and, and strong um, opposition, God, that, that you would please um, give peace to your kids, your children, and uh, that you would comfort them with the comfort of your Holy Spirit and that they would be mighty indeed uh, to face all that you have for them to face, uh, that you might be glorified on this earth in this day and so that no man in the end would stand before you without excuse but would know um, that you are indeed 
the God of the universe who has given everything uh, to make it possible for us to know him. So we know that that gift of knowing you comes through your word. And so this morning as we open your word and look at a parable, we pray that you please open our hearts uh, to hear the truth in that parable, that it would not skip over our ears, uh, but that we would uh, receive it and that we would be challenged and changed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've talked about how parables um, hide and reveal and how often Jesus kind of gives the uh, spoiler (laughs) of the parables. You just got to kind of pay attention to it and read the rest of the parable in light of what Jesus is saying the parable's about. So uh, 18.1 is kind of where it's at here, right? Jesus uh, tells this parable and it, it tells us, Luke tells us right away why Jesus gave us this parable. So he tells this parable so that they, so that the disciples, can always pray, that they ought always to pray, <clears throat> and that they don't lose heart, right? And so this uh, assumption, these, these uh, preconceived ideas about prayer then, kind of tell us about what we can expect when we try to pray. Um, Jesus wouldn't tell a story and say, hey, keep on praying, if it was easy to keep on praying, right? Often you find in the commands of Scripture, in the law that God reveals, um, you find the, the challenges that you face as a human, right? They just illuminate how incapable you are of being a holy human being. That's what God's law does to us. It, it reveals the fallenness of our human nature. And so in this parable, Jesus is saying, this isn't easy, guys. You you need the reminder to keep on praying, right? To always be praying. And not only that, not only do you need the reminder to, to always come and to pray, you also need the reminder that when you do come and pray, that you ought not lose heart, Okay? Now that builds, has within it, built within it, this entire understanding of what we can expect then when we do pray. And that is, we may regularly run into situations where we would normally lose heart. Why? Probably because we're not seeing what we're praying for, right? We're not seeing it come to pass, okay? That's why Jesus has to tell us, don't lose heart. Because if everything we prayed for always happened, we would not lose heart, right? We'd be like, sweet. And therein, too, is one of the challenges for always praying. <laughs> right? It's not just, not just simply hard to always pray, but it's often hard to always pray because we've lost heart, because we haven't gotten what we've prayed for. So therefore, we think, why should I pray? Right? So we got this, this whole understanding of prayer that Jesus doesn't shy away from at all. Right? Jesus doesn't walk up and say, here's a parable about how you should be better. It's easy. Just keep doing it. Right? He steps up and says, it's very hard. (laughs) This is very difficult. I want to encourage you to keep on trying and then never give up. Right? So it tells us something about what we can expect when it comes to prayer. So I think uh, contextually as... uh, people in, in this uh, environment that we're in, you know, kind of with 
assumed Christianity in, in many of our families or in much of our surrounding and in, in, in the previous generations, there are, there are a lot of uh, missed um, ideas about prayer, a lot of incorrect assumptions about prayer. And so we, I don't have time to quite unpack everything, but we need to understand what Jesus really expects prayer to be um, and what we should be praying for and, and, and to know what he's not telling us to pray for. Um, so one of the things that Jesus really isn't pushing us toward here as, as far as prayer goes um, is that he's not pushing us toward this idea that we ought to always um, ask God to give us stuff. Okay, and we see that later when he talks about justice. Um, okay, so one of our collective understandings of prayer might be that prayer is a, a tool for obtaining the things that we want. Um, and so we might misread this prayer then and think, okay, when I set my heart on a thing, what prayer is for is setting God's heart on that thing for me. <laughs> so what I'm going to do then, like this persistent widow, is I'm going to keep on asking God for the thing that I want, and I'll wear him down enough, I'll annoy God, and eventually he'll just go, oh, okay, kid, here's your thing. Now you'll be happy. Will you shut up? Right? Okay? And one of the ways we see that this isn't true, that this isn't what Jesus is saying, is because this parable is a, a parable that tells a greater or a lesser to a greater. Okay? A lot of times parables say the kingdom of God is like. Okay? Like the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out to sow seed. Some falls on path, some falls on fertile ground, some falls among wheat, right? The kingdom of God is like a woman who loses a coin. She turns her house upside down until she finds a coin. When she finds it, she calls her friend. She's so happy, right? That's, those are parables that are telling us what the kingdom of God is like. Those are one in the same type parables. They're just trying to uh, illustrate for us what God is like or what the kingdom of God is like. That's not what this parable is like. Jesus doesn't say that the kingdom of God is like this judge, Okay, this is actually a, 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 the kingdom of God is not that way. It's greater than that. Okay, and Jesus tells us very clearly this judge is not, nothing to write home about. Right, like this guy's a a word I can't say right now. That's what this guy is. Right, he doesn't fear God. He literally has internal conversations about how he doesn't care about anybody. <laughs> he says to himself, "I don't fear God," and people stink. I mean, that, that's his self-talk, right? This is not saying God is like the judge because God, Jesus is truly revealing his judge is a wicked, evil jerk, right? And so that's why this is a lesser to greater. Jesus says, if then this judge gets worn out by this persistent widow, if she keeps on coming, keeps on coming, keeps on coming, and even though his heart is dark and he doesn't, doesn't fear God, and he has no respect for any human being. He's definitely not going to have a respect for a, for a widow uh, because they were even less deserving of respect during the time that Jesus would tell this story. That's, that's how culture viewed them. So, you know, Jesus is just like, this guy is a mess. If he, after this woman keeps on coming, if he even is going to give justice, how much more so then will your father give? Right? So he builds this argument that even with a wicked, corrupt, mess of a judge relenting to this woman, 
that points us to the greater response of a generous father who is always thinking of his children and what he will do to enact justice for those who cry out day and night for it, right? So the judge is not somebody to be uh, respect or like held highly in our eyes. He's a comparison to help us understand this lesser thing is true. How much more so then is the greater thing, the great thing that God our Father wants to give justice to his children? So we need to understand that this is often what Jesus is expecting prayer to be for. Now, we'll talk about the justice part in a minute here, and I don't want to just glaze over because Jesus saying you should pray for justice for God's people doesn't mean you shouldn't pray for things. That doesn't mean that, right? It does mean to keep that in fair perspective and to understand the motives from which we ask for. James says, pray like crazy, but pay attention to why you're praying, okay? And so, does God delight in giving good gifts to his children? The answer to that question is yes, he does, okay? God gives good things to us, right? God is gracious in these giving of things to us. He gives us life. We literally could not breathe if he was not thinking about us. He gives us friends. He gives us the mind that we have. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us vocation and calling that we might be about the work of God in the world. Um, he gives us talents and abilities. He gives us spouses. He gives children. He gives jobs and food and shelter and clothing. All these things come from God. So he does give us good things, and it is a very good idea to ask God for the things that we need, right? We should ask him for them. We should ask when we do not have them. But like we saw last week in the parable of the prodigal son, we understand that God's most delighted gift, the, most, the, the best possible thing that he could ever give anyone, he has given, and that is himself, right? In the story of the parable of the, of the sons, we see the younger son in the beginning. He gets the stuff, and he runs away from the father to enjoy life away from the father and get all the things, and none of it satisfies him. He ends up wasting everything, and what does he have left? Nothing but to return to the father, right? Uh, Sebastian last week helped us to see just the tremendous grace of God in that story. And one aspect of that reality is that even though God would give us things, the greatest, he could ever, the greatest thing he could ever give us is to give us himself. Right? And so we do have to ask ourselves, do I seek things? Right? Does prayer for me mean stuff when I think about it? Right? Or when I'm just honestly evaluating my life, uh, do, do I mainly pray for the things that God can give, uh, or do I pray for, for God and his gift of himself, right? The gift of his presence, the gift of his peace, the gifts of his forgiveness and his mercy. Um, these are things that God delights to give us so much more than the things. Why? It's not because he's mean, it's because he knows what can satisfy, Right? He knows that a thing cannot hold your heart forever, but that he can, right? And so he deeply desires to bring to you the soul satisfaction of those things that are eternal, those things that will endure, because the things that pass away 
um, while he'll often give them, they are not going to sustain us. They're not going to satisfy our deepest longings. Um, and so we need to ask a couple of big questions. I already kind of asked some of them that when we hear about prayer, we need to evaluate our hearts like, and just think, do, like, do I, do I want God? What does that even mean to want God, right? Do I, do I want the things that he gives of himself or do I just want the things that he can give me? Do I, do I look at God like kind of like a genie in the bottle, I rub the lamp, I get my three wishes, and then I put them on a shelf? Like, do I, do I just simply ask for him to be in my life to make things more convenient, to make things easier, um, to, to pad my pocketbook, to get me a promotion, to blah, 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 blah. Again, not wrong to be praying for these things, but the deep motivation of our hearts, I think, is uncovered as we talk about prayer. Um, and then this is a tough question. Do I use God, right? Do I uh, simply come to him in the hard time so that I can get out of the hard time, right? Um, and, and a lot of the, the, the oscillating reality of kind of peace and prosperity and then hardship and difficulty that, that happens in our lives can reveal to us uh, what, it, what it is that we're really looking for when it comes to God. Are we, are we looking for actually him or are we looking for things that he can give us? And I think a gut-wrenching question that we have to ask is, does my relationship with God rise and fall based on what I have in my hands, right? When I have plenty and when I have less, what is that doing to the way I relate to God, to the way I look at him, to the way I view him, uh, to the truths that I believe about him, to uh, the frequency of the times that I come to him in prayer, uh, you know, what's in my hands. And listen, sometimes, and this is, this is so hard because I, I, know, uh, I know some of the hard things that us right here in this room are facing right now, but sometimes God empties our hands. He's willing, and he does bring lack or void into our lives to pull us into a view of what is deeper and more meaningful and more real than the things that we feel like we're missing, right? Suffering can empty our hands, but it can fill our hearts with an awareness of what's truly satisfying, right? And this is the good grace of God in suffering, okay? What we see in this passage is that Jesus says, I'm not going to always leave my children unattended. I'm not going to always leave them feeling as though there is no justice, right? Because often suffering shows us the world is unjust, right? Because it is. And so we ought to pray for justice. And Jesus makes the promise here in this parable that God is always thinking toward the long-term good uh, of his children. And so these are some of the questions we need to face as we look at a parable about prayer. Uh, so, again, back to verse 1. Jesus, again, gives us the introduction of this parable. And uh, it, it serves to kind of guide the entire parable's interpretation. So he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So, to pray persistently for justice for God's people, as the woman did, who pleaded with the judge for justice, is the lesson or the uh, encouragement that Jesus is putting forward in this parable, that we ought to pray persistently for justice for God's people, just like this woman did. And so Jesus says, always pray and not lose heart. Now, 
because we're not going through Luke exactly sequentially right now, we, we kind of missed the lead up to this. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, we need to spend just a brief minute here looking at uh, Luke 17, uh, starting in verse 20 and going through the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just I kind of want you to look over it if you've got an app or a Bible um, and just be aware of this. So we didn't go over this because this is also in Matthew 24, and right now in Luke we're just going over things that are unique in Luke's gospel. Uh, so a, a brief overview, this uh, passage in Luke 17 is talking about the coming of the kingdom, okay? The, the consummation, the fullness, the fulfillment of all the things that Jesus is promising and talking about that are going to happen, even the things that the Old Testament said were going to happen. And so some Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, okay, when's the kingdom coming, right? And Jesus gives a very important answer. He says, it's, it's here and it's not yet here, <laughs> right? This is one of the significant difficulties of the Christian journey is that we understand this duality, this, this, this already but not yet existence of God's kingdom that from the, the onset of Jesus' ministry, Mark 1.15 is an example of it, that Jesus proclaimed as he started to go to all the villages talking, he said, the kingdom of God is here. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. Right? That's what Jesus said over and over and over and over again. Okay, so at the arrival of Jesus, the kingdom of God broke through. It came. So Jesus said that. So he says to the Pharisees, it's here, but it doesn't look like what you guys think it's supposed to look like. Right? It, it, it looks different than you guys imagined. Um, but then he says in verse 22, but it's not yet here. And he tells the disciples, you're actually going to come to these days where you're really wishing the kingdom of God was here. Okay? And I think that's why Luke 17 ties very closely into Jesus talking about justice. Okay? He says to the disciples, the kingdom's here, but it's not yet here. And there's a, there are going to come days where you long for it to finally be here. Where you're going to long for it to fully arrive. Were you going to long for the, the absolute perfect dominion of God to be the rule and the reign of this planet once more, right? And then he tells them, and this is how it will come, okay? So he says in here, uh, people are going to tell you it's here, you know? Some people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is back. He's like, don't ever listen to anybody when they say that because the coming back of Jesus will be so unmistakable, so universally seen, that no one will ever have to tell you it happened. You'll know. Everyone will know. Okay? So that's just a warning against cults. Anybody ever says Jesus came back and you didn't already see it with your own eyes, they're lying. Okay? Because Jesus says, like lightning flashes and lights up the sky, it'll be seen. Okay? It, it's unmistakable. So don't ever think, oh, did I miss it? No. When he comes, you'll know. And then he says, when, uh, when he comes, there's going to be some interesting things happen. There's going to be, uh, you know, two people walking in a field. One's going to disappear and one's going to stay. There's going to be two women that are at the... Uh, you know, uh, the, the wheat grinding 
thing, whatever it's called. I don't know. I buy bread. I don't grind wheat. Uh, they're going to be there. One's going to go and one's going to, you know, stay. And there's going to be people walking in a field and one's going to go and one's going to stay. So he's like, it, it, it changed everything. It's, it's going to change everything. And every single person on the entire planet is going to know that it happened and it, and it will be unavoidable, right? And then he says something very interesting in verse 31 says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Verse 32, very interesting. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So if you're up on the roof and Jesus comes back, don't run down inside to grab your laptop and you're safe, he says. If you're, if you're out in a field playing kickball with your church family and Jesus comes back, don't get in your car and race home to make sure all your stuff is still there. And he says, remember Lot's wife. Now, who's Lot's wife? Well, Lot was the cousin of Abraham. And Lot was living in uh, Sodom, and God was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their abhorrent evil. And so uh, Lot and his family flee to escape, and then Lot's wife looks back. Okay. Now, if you miss the whole story, you think, well, this is mean. She, then she turns to a pillar of salt. She freezes. She's a pillar of salt. I don't, that's crazy. I don't. Apparently she's dead, because I don't think you can live as a pillar of salt. So she dies, right? Now, you, a lot of times you can think, well, this is, that, that's mean. Like, she's running away for her life, and, like, fire falls from heaven or something and burns up these cities, and she wants to look and see what happened, and she dies because of that? That's wrong. That's so mean. God, you're so mean, right? That's, that's not the point. That's not the point. Lot's wife loved her life more than the idea of being God's. Belonging to God, being rescued by God, being saved from God, saved by God from a messed up, sinful, evil world. Lot's wife's longing was revealed in what she looked to. She did not look to God who was saving them. She looked to the things God was saving them from and wished she could have gone back. Right. The whole point of that being tied to don't go down in your house. Don't go back from the field. The whole point of that is to say this. What do you long for? <laughs> right? The, Jesus tells the disciples at the beginning of there in Luke 17, one day you're really going to wish that I was here. And then he says what's going to look like when I come back. And he says, don't go running back to the world. Once you finally see me come, your heart will be revealed in what you're longing for. Where does your mind go when I return? Does it go to your possessions? Does it go to your home? Does it go to your things? Does it go to the world? Does it go to, oh shoot, I missed that chance or that thing or I'm not going to have the, the stuff anymore? Or does it go to, oh finally, finally. Right? Like Kelly told us earlier, finally it's here. Finally this world is done. This broken world is finally gone. 
things that I keep thinking are going to make me happy, I'm not going to need them anymore. Like, the brokenness of unfulfilled longings is finally passed away. That's what Jesus is trying to get to. And then he ties this into prayer and he says, pray and don't give up. And don't lose heart. And every time we're encouraged in the New Testament to not lose heart, it's because of the delay of the coming of God's kingdom. Revelation is filled with that encouragement to the church. Right? Don't give up. He's going to come. Persist in your faith. Endure. Right? Because he's going to do what he promised. And so this whole story of this persistent widow ties us into this longing that Jesus says we will have as we begin to more fully understand what God is doing and what he's going to do. And that changes everything about the way then that I pray. Sure, I'm still going to pray for some things, right? But more than anything, I'm going to pray that God makes this world right. Right? I'm going to pray according to Jesus' prayer, his heavenly prayer, that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to pray, dear God, for my friends who are hurting right now, please let them feel like they are fully yours. Let them experience the life of love that a real child of God can experience in the midst of all of the hardships and pain that they're facing. And God, please end it. End the hard stuff. Right? Like that is a legit prayer to pray for people. And for yourself. This widow was praying for, ju uh, for justice from her adversaries. So she had junk coming down on her from other people, right? And she was like, God, give me a judge. Give me a break. And finally the judge wrote a restraining order and the adversaries had to leave her alone or something, right? Like he, he finally enacted the justice. So to come to God and to say, God, give me a break is a completely reasonable prayer, right? And Jesus says, pray it and don't lose heart because he knows that our earthly timeline looks differently than his heavenly one, right? Like the, the way that we see our history looks different than how God sees our story. And so often we think, God, why are you doing this? Why are you delaying? Why is it taking so long? And Jesus makes a promise that God is speedy in bringing about justice for us. Whoa. Right? I, I don't see God being very fast sometimes. Do you? That's why Jesus says don't lose heart. Because a lot of times we can't see the speed, right? We can't see the outcome. We can never see that future. But he knows it, and he is after it on your behalf. And so it is good, and it is right, and it is expected to pray for justice for God's people. Justice for others, yes. Justice for ourselves, yes. Justice for our friends and our family, yes. To pray for justice. And what is praying for justice? Praying for justice, I mean, just as simple as I can make it, praying for justice is asking God to make things as they truly ought to be. 
right? If good is really good, if righteousness is really righteous, right? If selflessness is to be admonished and encouraged, right? If selfless giving is to be of value, if thinking of others before ourselves, if putting the needs of others before, if all these things are real, then God, make them real. Make their effect real here because so many times, God, I try to do good and it feels like bad falls back on my lap. So many times, Lord, I try to pursue righteousness and I feel like it's not even seen as righteousness by my friends. They actually see it as wickedness and they're mean to me because of it. And they misunderstand me and sometimes I even misunderstand me or I sit in this church full of a bunch of messy sinners and I keep misunderstanding them and God, will you bring justice? Will you set things right? The kingdom of God is here to do that and the kingdom of God is coming so that it will ultimately one day finally and truly happen. So to pray for justice is to ask God to make things as they ought to be because our things as they ought to be is the most hearty no I've gotten in a while. No, no. No. And I think that's part of the key to understanding how to really pray is to understand that things are not as they should be. Right? When you grow in your understanding of what the world is really like, you'll grow in the way that you pray for justice. When you grow in the way that you see who you really are, you'll grow in the way that you really pray for justice. When you grow in the way that you see who God really is, you'll grow in the way that you pray for justice, right? Sometimes you're told, like, when it comes to thinking about prayer, you know, here's these key little things to do, and then you'll pray better. I think praying intentionally and trying to do things to pray better is, is fine and good, but I think prayer comes from a heart that's being transformed, right? Deeper, more honest, more sincere prayer towards justice with an understanding of the world, like, it, it, it deepens our prayer as we, as we dig into the, those things. So I just said this, but I want to dig into these a little bit more. I believe that, you will, that the more you see these following things, the further you will be driven to real and enduring and ceaseless prayer. Number one, if you see the world for what it truly is. Number two, if you see yourself as you truly are. And number three, if you see God as he truly is. And here's what I mean when when it comes to these things. As we grow to see the world for what it truly is, we'll start to understand more and more that most of what human beings are after, we will never fully attain in this world, right? That we see the emptiness of the promises of this world. Now, it's hard to see those things and not get, like, super cynical and understand that this isn't, like, just turn us into a bunch of cynics and say, ah, the world sucks, right? Like, no, we have a lot of gracious good in this world that we ought to see and pursue, right? But we must understand this broken world communicates to us hopes that are not true, right? And empty promises that we will never see attained. We must grow to see that, uh-oh,
want to kill the mic for that. We will grow in understanding that external beauty and meaning <clears throat> are vapors, right? That they are short-lived, excuse me. I may have reached the end. <clears throat> we will grow in seeing that often there are broken motivations behind the things of this world and the motivations of this world. But we can also come to see that everything that is good in this world, it points us to something better. It points us to the better that is in God. Right? And so we ought to look at good and look for good, but understand it's not the conclusion. <clears throat> it's simply a doorway to see the greatness of God. Also, growing to see ourselves as we truly are. And this can be a difficult journey. Uh, we've talked about this through the gospel-centered life in city groups lately, that we need to understand that our hearts are often deceptive, right? And that we can grow in our understanding of that and become more self-aware of the places that we have jacked up motives and sinful realities in us. Growing in a way that we see how deep our, our sin nature really goes. Um, growth in understanding that we can become awfully defensive of our false righteousness, right? We can often put on airs to, to defend how good we really are, not realizing that we are trying to create for ourselves a righteousness that we do not have. Um, and then also to see deeply how desperate we are for the grace of God. And as we grow in seeing the world for what it truly is and ourselves as we truly are, I believe that the grace of God alone can help us to see himself as he truly is. That though we are desperate for grace and though this world is desperate for justice, it is God alone who truly and abundantly can give these things. And that he wants to give these things. That he longs to show us grace and to welcome us to himself. Again, like the prodigal and the older brother last week. As we begin to see God for who he truly is, we begin to see that our deepest needs have been filled by him and by his power. That our need for salvation and forgiveness above all has been covered and taken care of because of the cross of Christ. That even our needs of provision and housing, clothing, that Jesus promises those things too will be given. He says, you know, flowers are dressed. They're taken care of. Birds don't worry about what they're going to eat. I'm going to care for you as a loving father. And as we grow to see more about how God truly is, we will grow in understanding his sovereignty. Grow in understanding that he sees everything. That he knows everything. That he's not surprised. And that he's working in all these things to bring about the glory of Jesus and the eternal good of his chosen ones. And so, as we grow in understanding these realities, I believe that our prayer life will grow. And I think there's another key to our prayer lives growing like this persistent widow. And that is that we pursue real and open and caring and enduring relationships. 
There is a ceaselessness to prayer that is commanded in the New Testament. And if you're anything like me, you're like, that's eh, kind of bonkers. How am I supposed to never stop praying, right? As you engage deeper and more realistically in meaningful relationships, I believe that your prayer will become more ceaseless. That it will become a fruit, almost an unintentional byproduct, of the, the caring that comes from really having people you love in your life, right? This is why driving often just turns into praying because, you know, the empty mind space and you just start wandering and then where does your mind go? To the concern of others, right? To the drug addict in my family who's in recovery right now, going through withdrawals, right? To Anthony who just lost his wife this week, to those two babies, right? To my brother and his family as he's having to travel four days a week from September to February this year, right? Just praying for that. It's so hard. For so many of you who are struggling through loss and hardship, and I think about it because I know it, because you've told me, because we have the relationship for that, right? The more of that that's happening in your life, I really believe the, the more ceaseless prayer will be in your life. That it'll turn from just your needs and the things and your little, you know, the lists that would make your life easier and begin to turn to the things that would make other people's lives easier. Or the hardships that could be pulled out from them that would enable them to, in, uh, to make it and endure. And even for God to be present in the midst of those hard times. And so I want to ask these questions, and it's going to drive us into a bit of a despair, but what would it look like if we were like the persistent widow in praying for others? What if we prayed constantly and continually for people in this church? What would that do? What if we knew the deep concerns and the troubling issues in the lives of those in our city group, and we prayed for them all the time? What would that look like? What kind of church would we become if we were praying for our neighbors and colleagues and classmates in such a way, asking God to bring justice? You see, a life where always praying and not losing heart, where crying to God day and night that he would give justice, a life like that doesn't just happen accidentally. A life like that will not take place just because you're a Christian for a while. It's not an automatic Thing, a life where we always pray and we don't lose heart. It, it, it's difficult to see a life of prayer like that coincide with a self-important, self-absorbed, over-busy life of trying to prove ourselves, right? You're going to push out that kind of prayer if you is the center of your life. And if you're anything like me, this always praying and not losing heart type of life doesn't seem like a description of your life. It doesn't seem like a description for my life. And if that's true for you, and you're free to admit that that's true for you in this place, you need to know that you're forgiven. Because there's good news about our life of struggling prayer. And this is the good news. That Jesus had the hardest, most pressure-filled, important life that has ever existed in all of human history and his life was filled with prayer. 
His life was filled with prayer. Jesus obediently lived into the reality of always praying and never giving up for you. He took that burden on his shoulders and he executed it perfectly. Jesus always prayed, even though you don't always pray. Jesus never lost heart, even though you've lost heart. And will later lose heart, <laughs> as will I. Jesus perfectly lived into this reality. Very quickly, Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a des desolate place, and there he prayed. This is how many times I should have risen when it was still dark and went to pray. I mean, all the time. Listen, sometimes I get up at crazy hours in the morning. I'm like, why am I even? This is stupid. Why am I awake? Right? Go to the bathroom. Sorry for being real here. A little water on the face, a little drink. Why am I awake? I'm going back to bed. Right? There's Jesus. When he woke up in a moment like that, he went and prayed. What a God. What a man. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But now even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. This is to say it got really pressurized for Jesus. Right? Like it was in the paper. Somebody did a podcast about him. News spread widely. Right? Like the intensity gets ratcheted up. And then verse 16, what does it say? But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. When it got harder, when it got more intense, Jesus prayed. Right? Because that's when I say, eh, you know, it's a little, I got, you know, four, 14 and a half hour days in a row here, God. I, I'll talk to you on the weekend, you know. Jesus is still going to pray faithfully. John 17, 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. This was Jesus praying for those who were his. Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for his friends, even the ones that were going to betray him, even the ones that were going to deny him. Jesus prayed for his friends. And finally, Luke 23, 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the prayer life of Jesus. It's constant. Even when he's stressed, prayer for his friends. It's a prayer for those who would hurt him deeply. It's a prayer for those 
that were killing him. And it was prayer for you. There is grace for our prayerlessness because of the one who faithfully prayed and didn't give up. And when his blood was shed, forgiveness was ours. And the power of the resurrection is this, that the life of Christ, the prayer life of Christ, is now being lived out through you. Right? Prayer that is constant. Prayer that is for others. Prayer for even those who hurt you. Prayer for those who would wound you. And that grace is in the hands of the one who gave his life for you. Who prayed for your forgiveness even as your sin, even as my sin, was being laid on his shoulders and killing him. Even then he was praying for us. That's why we have grace. That's why we have freedom. Because he gave it to us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. I want to close with Romans 8, 31 to 33. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a statement of justice. Friend, God is for you. Even in the trial, even in the trouble, even in the lack of justice where you're saying, God, this is not fair. Don't lose heart. God is for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, and listen to this, he is at the right hand of God. He indeed, right now, is interceding for us. The perfect prayer life of Christ continues today for you and through you that we might be those who do not lose heart as we pray for justice. Let's do that now. God, thank you for this day. There are hard, hard, hard things that we face on a regular basis. And God, in this moment right here, I ask that you would bring justice. God, our life of righteousness rarely brings us any reward. God, would you bring justice? Lord, we try, though we fail, we try to do what is right. And so often we still find hardship and evil and pain in our lives. God, would you please bring justice? God, if we're not going through it, we know someone who's going through it. They're losing, they're struggling, they're in pain, they're suffering. God, would you bring justice? Would you be good to those who are yours? Would you reward them for their endurance? Would you relieve them of their pains and their hardships? And even if you don't, God, because that's a prayer in the scriptures all the time, even if you don't, would you enable us, would you enable them to endure, to not turn away 
from the keeper of their soul. To not give up on the faith that will hold them, that will endure because you are with them. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, you bring comfort and you bring your presence and you bring your guidance. So Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray by giving us meaningful relationships. Teach us to pray by helping us endure in suffering. Teach us to pray by giving us friends and neighbors who are in the midst of trial and giving us to them so that we might pray with them and for them. Teach us what justice looks like and teach us to come always to you and to not lose heart. Lord, we know. We know that the final answer of all these prayers will happen when you return. And God, I pray that you would begin to be stirring in us hearts that long for Jesus more than they long for the things of this world. That we would not be like Lot's wife and turn back hoping for something in this world to endure. But rather we would look ahead to you and long for your return. The spirit and the bride in Revelation cry, come Lord Jesus. And we do pray for that. Because we do know that on that day, real justice will be here. Real righteousness will reign on this earth. Real peace, the true triumph of good over evil, all sin being erased, every tear being dried, every empty gap in our souls being filled. We will know you. You will be our God and we will be your people. We long for that day more than anything, Jesus. Teach us to pray. In Christ's name, amen.